Now, what I would like to talk about is exactly what seems to be happening today in general, okay, uh, which is a very important concept, very important to know. <clears throat> so, the way to understand today is uh, the concept of the Akedo. Now, we know, what the, we know what the story is, obviously, right? We know what the story of the Akedo is, how he sacrificed, or he almost sacrificed, Titzchak. So, <clears throat> the question that, there are two questions that I would ask. Those are the two questions that I seek to want to answer. The first question <clears throat> is, this is what the tenth test of Avramovino, right? The Akedo. He had ten tests, he passed them all, and God gave him the last test, which was the Akedo, to sacrifice his son. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to go into what the test was. I think I won't spoke about that, so that's not my question. The question is, why this test? You know, is, is there something beyond the immediacy of the test, which is, I will test Avram's loyalty to me, that Avram Avinu will submit to my command, even though he obviously has no idea what's happening uh, and why and and uh, uh, you know what the rationale for it is. Uh, so why would the Bosham give Avram Avinu this test? What's the what 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 is the symbolism or the hidden meaning of this test beyond the obvious idea to see if Avram Avinu it will be loyal to God. The second question I ask is this. The Pesach says, Vayisa, I'm going to quote from the Pesach, <clears throat> in the Akedo, Parshas uh, Vayero, Vayisa Avraham is Enov, and Avraham raised his eyes, Vayar, and he saw, renamed, behold, Ayel, there was a ram, right? Achar, afterward, means after the, he let Yitzchak off the Mizbeach. But this ram, Nechaz, was caught Basvach in the thicket. He was entrapped in a thicket. How? Bekanov, by his horns. You see? And then it says, Vayelech Avram, and Avram went, right? Vayikach, and he took, and so I the ram, Vayalehu, and he brought it as an offering, and an oil, of course, is an offering which is completely sacrificed to the Rabbanu But then it adds two words, tachas penoi, instead of a son. So therefore it says, and he brought it, that the ram, as an oil, a korban oil, right? Tachas penoi, instead of a son. So the question is, why does it say tachas penoi? It should just say, and he brought the oil, he brought the oil as an oil. That's all. What does Tachas Benoi mean instead of his son? So those are the two questions that I would ask. And in, in truth, they, they are very profoundly uh, mystical. And what they really do is they testify to what will happen. Now, in order to understand this, I'm going to quote uh, which I think I once mentioned a long time ago when I talked about Mashiach and Yosef, where it says in the, in the Yalkut Shemoini, uh, I think it's in 499 in Yishayahu, 
that's where it is. Uh, where it talks extensively about the Mashiach ben Yosef. But anyway, one of the passages says the following, that God says to the Mashiach ben Yosef, the, the Yalkut Shemoni, which is a Midrash, calls him Mashiach ben Ephraim, but he's really ben Yosef. And he says <clears throat> that in the end of time, your children, means the Jewish people, they will be high of Kilio. They will be obligated to be annihilated. They will be Chayv Misa. This is what God says to the Mashiach ben Yosef. Now, obviously what that means is that the Jews will be in such a difficult situation of sinning, the sins will be so pervasive, that they will be Chayv uh, Misa. They'll be guilty of death. So the Mashiach ben Yosef, when he hears this, he says, you know, I, I, this cannot be. So he accepts upon himself all the sufferings that are required, you see. Mm-hmm. He accepts on himself that are required in some way to atone or to at least help atone for the punishment that the Jews have to receive, which is Misa or annihilation. And he accepts that upon himself, you see. And he says that he accepts upon himself all the, the kapara, means all the suffering that the Jews would have to sit, not only in his generation, which is the end of time, but he accepts upon himself all the sins of the Jews for all generations, which is staggering, obviously. And after he does that, so God says, you know, okay, and it says that God takes a yoke, an iron yoke, you know, that you put on top of oxen that hold them together, and he puts it on the neck of the Mashiach bin Yosef, and the Mashiach bin Yosef bends, because this must be of enormous weight. Obviously, that symbolizes the tremendous suffering that the Jews have to have. And the Mashiach bin Yosef, he bends forward, you know, he bends down, and he starts screaming, and he says, I can't tolerate this. This is beyond belief. You know, I'm only flesh and blood. How can I possibly so well? How can I suffer or bear the suffering of this, these people. So God says, yes, but you said you would do it. Because really God needs that from the Mashiach ben Yosef to help alleviate the guilty verdict or the punishment of the Jewish people. But God says to him, in some type of a compensation, uh, consolation, that I also will accompany them in Golis, in the Galut. And that also is a very important factor in helping the Jews uh, have a kapara. This is the Yalkut Shemoni, very mystical Yalkut Shemoni. But this is what it says. Now, we understand what it means is what? It doesn't mean that all the Jews will be obligated to die. But clearly, there are Jews, of course, that will get Olam Habo, right? They'll get Gan Eden, and then they'll get Olam Habo. So what God is referring to is not the totality of the Jewish people, but what he's referring to is a, a large segment of the Jews, um, some type of a minority, although that minority, or whatever, we don't know really how many, clearly will not be worthy to have the future world. Why? Uh, because the amount of kapara, of suffering, that they have to receive is so great <clears throat> that it is not possible to give the Jews, certainly not in this world, 
and apparently it's difficult even in the next. So therefore, God will say, okay, you people, a significant segment of the Jews, do not deserve the future world, and therefore I will annihilate them, which is, of course, Ibud, where God just makes them disappear. And it is this vast segment of Jews, right, that will not get Ulam that the Mashiach Ben Yosef tries to save. Now, what do we realize from this? What we realize is certain very important ideas. One, we now understand that the Mashiach Ben Yosef is one of the major reasons why the Jewish people survive. Because he accepts upon himself a tremendous amount of suffering, which is almost inhuman in the sense that, like he says, how, how can I bear this? I'm only flesh and blood, you see. So we can imagine that the suffering that he does accept upon himself is beyond belief. The second thing which we observe from this is that we see that this will happen at the end of time. That the amount of sins that the Jews will have accumulated at the end of time will be enormous. To such, such an extent where they jeopardize their entire existence. You see. And this is what's going to be at the end of time, which is actually it's a nevuah. It's a prophecy that at the end of time the Jews are going to be so bad it's so sinful that it will call it the question if they even deserve, or a large segment of them, if that segment even deserves the future world. So this is prophetic, you see. And this is what we learn from the, uh, this Yalkut uh, Shemoyne. This now the question is, okay, we understand this, which obviously is not good news, the good news is the fact that all the Jews will survive, primarily because of the, the, uh, the uh, intervention of the Mashiach Ben Yosef. Once we understand this, we can now understand the Akedah, which is what I mentioned, and the two questions which I asked. Why is this the last Nisoyan? Why would God choose this Nisoyan, this temptation, or this test, for Avraham Avino, and why at the end? Well, the the the, the shot, of course, is to test his loyalty. But what God was really telling Avraham Avino was an avur that at the end of time, just like this is your last test. At the end of time, your children, which means the Jewish people, will be chayav misa. Enormous amount will have to die. And therefore, that is symbolized that you have to kill Yitzchak. Yitzchak represents the Jewish people, right? Because he's the follower of Avraham Avinu. And you have to sacrifice him, which means that a tremendous amount of Jewish people will have to be sacrificed. They will have to die. Because they don't deserve to get Oilam Habor. So therefore, what we see is that the last test really is the last time period of the Jewish people, you see, just like the Yalkut Shemoni, that Midrash, where it says that the Jewish people at the end of time will not make it. The same idea. Yeah, Avram Avinu has this test at the end of time to indicate to him that the darkness, the, the sins of the Jews will be so great 
uh, that they will be chayv clear. They also have to die, and therefore you must offer Isaac as a sacrifice. You see, so that is why this is the last test, because it's really a prophetic uh, uh, test, Tavromavino, that indicates to him what will be at the end. You see. Now, so that is the concept of why it is the last test. But why Tachas Benoi? Because the answer is that if the Jews deserve to be destroyed or annihilated, then somebody else has to take their place. You see, when it says that he offered up the, the Isle as an Oilo, so that's what it should have said. But when it says Tachas Benoi, it means instead of his son, that means, well, this will be a substitute for his son. But really, his son should be on the altar, dying. That's what Tachas Benoi is. No, it's, instead of his son, God allowed him to substitute a ram. You see. So, Tachas Benoi tells us, right, that there will be a very difficult uh, situation for the Jews. But in some way, they will be saved. You see. Because something else will be offered up, or God will substitute for this some type of a, a surrogate, a, a substitute, a replacement. But there has to be a replacement. This is what we see from the expression, you see, of Tachas Benoi. Now, <clears throat> what does Avram Avinu see, which is very important? He sees an aisle, a ram, you see. Who is this ram? So, uh, this ram, the Midrash says, has been entangled with his horns, because it says, it says, and this ram was entangled in the thicket, how? He was caught by, by his horns, you see. So the Midrash says that this ram was prepared from, from the beginning of creation. And now since Avraham Avinu is basically 2,000 plus years, so this ram has been waiting for almost more than 2,000 years to be the sacrifice for the Akedah. Now, this ram is really the Mashiach ben Yosef. And the deal that he made with the Rabbon Hashem is at the beginning of creation. You see. So the ram is really Tachas Benoi. It is really a substitute for the Jewish people. Mashiach ben Yosef is a substitute for the Jewish people. This is what is a tremendous remez in the Akedah. And not only does it reveal that, that we're talking about a ram that's been around for 2,000 years. It's a long time. We know it refers to Mashiach ben Yosef based on the Midrash, the Yalkut, which I just mentioned, you see. And this was, this deal that they made that he made with God, of course, is at the beginning of creation. But it also says that this ram was entangled by his horns. And that tells us in many ways what the Mashiach ben Yosef, what the Yisurin is. Now, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that the Pesach that refers to Mashiach ben Yosef is where it says, when Moshe Rabbeinu is giving the bracha, to the different Shvatim tribes, he says that what? He says, right? The firstborn of his ox, which we know refers to the Mashiach ben Yosef, right? 
beauty is his. And I mentioned what that is. That's the concept of Tiferes, where the Mashiach has this incredible insight to see how everything is connected, everything. The physical to the spiritual to the divine and so on, right? Uh, so it says that how the Lord beauty says, and then it says, V'kani re'em karnov, and the horns of this re'em, of this uh, ox, is not the horns of an ox, which is strong and stout. It is the horns of a re'em, which is magnificent to look at, you see. What are these horns I had mentioned then? Is that the horns are symbolic. Just like horns are weapons and they emanate from the head. So the weapons of the Mashiach when you're safe also emanates from his head, right? And that is the incredible wisdom that he has that will change the world. And that we know is the messianic light. But this light will be the weapons. This is how he's going to change the world. So Karen or Karnov, the Kani Re'em, really refers to the Orishan, or the Or Haganuz, the Or Mashiach, you see. And of course, the horns emanate from the head, and so does wisdom. But then it says, by this isle of the Akedah, it says a remarkable thing. It says, Nechaz Beswach, right? That he was entangled in the thicket, right? The Kaunov, with his horns. That means that the Mashiach Ben Yosef, even though he has this unbelievable awe, this unbelievable amount of incredible wisdom, which is the messianic light, can't use it. He's stuck. It's frozen in his head. And that brings the Mashiach Ben Yosef unbelievable suffering. Because here's a person who is privy to such unbelievable divine wisdom. And he can't use it. Because it's stuck in the thicket. You see? So, just like the ram by the Akedah, the horns of the ram was stuck and tangled in the thicket, the same idea of Mashiach ben Yosef, his horns, which we know represents the Om Mashiach, is also stuck. And that represents, you see, the Mashiach's suffering as a result of his taking on to alleviate the kapara, the atonement that the Jews must have. You see, now, th- these are very important Ramazam, you see. Now, there's a famous Ramban that says, Maisa over similar bonum, that what happens to the fathers, which are our patriarchs, right, the Ovas, the Avot, that is exactly what's going to happen to the Jewish people. Like I said, just like this is the last test of Abraham, God was showing Abraham what the last situation is, will be of the Jewish people. Like I said, they will be guilty of annihilation, many of them, right? And therefore, really your son or the Jewish people should be annihilated. However, I'm going to send a substitute, and that's fundamentally Mashiach ben Yosef. So therefore, when that suffering ends, then that's the beginning of the Messianic era. Now, how do we understand today in these terms? Well, remember one thing. It says, Egypt is not just an exile. Egypt really is what will happen. It's a model of what will happen in the end of time. That's what Egypt is. And that's what it means. Behold, I will redeem you, right? The last exile, which is now, 
just like the first exile, which was Egypt. Therefore, that's a very important clue as to what will happen. Well, what exactly did happen in Egypt, you see? Well, here's what happened. God, so to speak, I'm using, you know, just regular, what's called anthropomorphic terms, human terms. God had a tremendous problem, so to speak. Of course, he doesn't have any problem. But in our perspective, there was a problem. What was the problem? The problem was, is that the Jews had still more years to be in Egypt. Because they were supposed to be in Egypt for 400 years. Instead, they, was, they were there for 210 but the problem was, is that they lived in an environment that was Memteshari Tumah. It was the 49 levels of Tumah. That's how bad Egypt was. 49 levels of Tumah. You see, it doesn't say 49 levels of evil, of Tumah, of defilement. Egypt was a very corrupt, immoral place. And the Jews were in the thick of it. And apparently, to whatever extent, they did join the Egyptians in that Tumah. And we know that because the Jews worshipped idols in Egypt, you see. So therefore, they were in the Memteshai Tumah. Now the problem is, had they descended into the Nun Shai Tumah, because there are really 50 gates of Tumah of defilement, then they could not have been redeemed. Because then they would have lost basically their entire claim to Kedusha, because that's how bad it is. They are totally immersed in Tumah, in defilement, in corruption, and so on. And therefore, God would not redeem the Jews. So therefore, there presented itself, I think it's called triage, a crisis, an emergent situation. If God waits for another 190 years until the 400 years are filled, then that's the end of the Jews. They cannot get out because they will have been in the Memteshari Tumah. And they will not deserve redemption. Therefore, God is looking at a crisis. So what the Barsham decided to do is the following. That I am going to redeem them now. But wait a minute. You can't redeem them now. Why? Because justice has to be satisfied. They don't deserve to be redeemed. And in the end, God wants to satisfy justice because the whole creation of the world is predicated on that you see uh, so what God did right is he activated the messianic activated right the messianic process by actually calling Moshe Rabbeinu by the sneh the burning bush and he designated him to be the candidate to be the Mashiach we know that. So Moshe Rabbeinu was actually the Mashiach in waiting, if you want to use that term. Okay. And he said, I want you to go to Egypt. So in other words, what God is saying to Moshe is that I want to redeem the Jews. You see, I want to redeem the Jews. But the problem is, I can't. Why? Not that I can't. God can do whatever he wants. But I can't because they will not deserve the Gula to justice. You see, because they are now in the Memteshai Tumor. So God had to satisfy what? He had to satisfy the judgment or the justice. So in other words, even if he doesn't annihilate the Jews, 
because they now slip into the 50th gate of Tumor, right? He needs to do something to satisfy the judgment. And that's the Tachas Benoi. Instead of Yitzchok, there's got to be something else, you see. You can't just take away Yitzchok and everything goes scot-free. Uh, same idea. Even if God decides to redeem the Jews, right? He can't just redeem, redeem them and ignore justice. Because that would go to contrary to the whole purpose of creation where you have to earn your reward in the future world. So what did God do? He had Moshe come. And what happened was, unbeknownst to Moshe, we know that, we see that, he had Paroi do something which is unheard of. What Paroi did is amazing. Not only did Paroi defy God, you know, he says to Moshe, Who the, who's God that I have to listen to him? I'm not doing it. I'm not sending them out, right? They're mine, right? So that was the first defiance of Paroi to Moshe, who's the designated Mashiach, right? Uh, but he did even more. And that's the chutzpah of Paroi. He said, not only are they my slaves and I will not redeem them, but I'm going to intensify the slavery. It was, not only are they not yours, they're mine, but I'm going to show how much more they are mine. I'm going to intensify the slavery by issuing a command, right, that they have to gather straw in the middle of the night. Uh, so that's not only an act of defiance, right, against the uh, explicit command of God, right? It is a mockery of God, because Paris said they are mine, and I'm going to intensify their slavery. You, know, you want to take them out to be yours, I'm going to show you not only they're mine, but I'm going to intensify their slavery. You see, now of course Moshe Rabbeinu was shocked, because he didn't expect it to get worse. He knew it would take time, because God told him. But he didn't expect it to get worse. He just expected power to defy. But not that it would get worse for them. But God did it. Why? Because there has to be tachas benoi. You know, you can't just let the Jews out, the geula, and the Jews don't have to, uh, you know, commit to anything. No. There has to be a satisfaction of justice. And that satisfaction of justice is where the entire Jewish people, all of them, suffered terribly. And I think they suffered for six months. Can you imagine not only having to make bricks with straw, but you have to go through the entire land of Egypt in the middle of the night looking for that straw? And the amount, the tally of bricks cannot be diminished. So we cannot even imagine the suffering that the Jews went through for the last, I think it is, uh, uh, six months. You see? So that's a very important idea. Now, what's interesting is we know that Egypt is a model for the redemption. And we see that in the redemption, what happened? The Jews were what? They were in the Memtes Shari Tumah, which immediately provoked a tremendous crisis, emergency. And God, therefore, decided to initiate the redemption, but not fully. They still had to have Tachas Benoi. There still has to be something that would be sacrificed. You see, <clears throat> therefore, if this is what happened in Egypt, then guess what? It is happening today, exactly. How do we see the parallel of today, current events, to what happened in Egypt? And then you will understand what is going on. Well, here's the problem. 
It's the same emergency. We live in a time of memteshari tumah. The world is incredibly corrupt. It's evil. And it's unbelievably immoral. Just take a look around you. What goes on, you see. That means we are in an environment of tremendous tumor defilement. Not only that, but at least 80% of the Jewish people are gone. Shmir Shabbos, Kashrus, Yom Toivim, Taras Mishpocha, it's all gone. Could you imagine that? Just like the Jews in Egypt. 80% of the Jews are gone today. So the question is, wait a minute, you know, if God does nothing, I mean, think about this. The intermarriage rate, intermarriage rate, they say, is 7 out of 10 Jews intermarry. That's number one. Not only that, not only they intermarry, but they are assimilated. And they are unaffiliated. It's incredible what's going on. So therefore, the emergency is, and that's what it is, it's crisis, that if God waits more, there won't be anybody left, basically. There will be only a couple of what? A million Jews or whatever. They're the only ones doing the will of God, right? I'm not even talking about how many B'nai Torah there are. Out of the 14 million Jews, at least 11 million are gone. Therefore, we are witnessing the same thing all over again. We are witnessing an unbelievable crisis, you see. And that is that the Jews, I should say, not the Jews, but Judaism is about to disappear. Yeah. Because the practice of Judaism is dying. Even though we sit in, you know, religious neighborhoods and so on. But all across the world, the practice of Judaism is dying. And therefore, this presents an exact situation that was in Egypt. You see, what's God going to do? Well, what God does is the same thing. He's going to initiate the messianic process. The difference is, is that in those days, right, the process was initiated with who? With Moshe Rabbeinu. Except he had the Tachas Benoi, right, which was the terrible suffering of the Jewish people. Well, guess what? God also is going to initiate the messianic process. And that process, in terms of current events, is really what's called the Tev Shebeisav. Yes, because the Midrashim speak about that, that in the end of time, it's Rav Yavoy Tzoyer, the older will serve the younger, you see. And that is in the Messi- or right before the Mashiach comes. And that's exactly what God did, you see. He initiated, right, he began the Messianic process, the precursor. But the precursor is not the Jews themselves. It is Edoim, Esav, Toiv Shebe Esav, returning to help his brother. And we take a look at what Trump is doing. Even when the man is being thrown out, basically, what is happening is incredible, right? He is bringing Arab nations to be allies with Israel. I mean, this is unheard of, you see. So he's ending the creep of Yishmael. You see? And he's bringing a tremendous amount of peace and prosperity and land to the people of Israel, which is incredible. So that is the precursor that God has brought. However, remember, there has to be a tachas benoi. You can't just 
allow Trump to continue, you know, without any consequences. Something has to stop. That's the Tachas Benoi. Because the Jews right now do not deserve Olam Habo. We know that from the Midrash where God says to the Mashiach Ben Yosef that they have to be destroyed. You see, we see that. And also from the symbolism of the arcade of Avraham Avinu. So therefore, just like by Moshe Rabbeinu, it has to stop. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu is the Mashiach, basically, same thing now. It has to stop. Why? Because the Jews don't deserve the redemption. Just like they didn't deserve it in Egypt. But God had to initiate the process because they're in danger of disappearing. The Jews now are in the danger of disappearing, you see. This is what's about to happen. And therefore we have the exact same crisis. So God initiates the process by the Tev Shebezov, you know, because what Trump did is unheard of. What he has done for the Jewish people is beyond belief. No president in history has been so good to the Jews as, as, as Trump has. But that's stopping. There is a massive attempt to destroy him, you see. So therefore, this is the equivalent of the zero of straw, where Trump has to be stopped. However, that is the question that we will have resolved very shortly. You know, how long is this interruption of the messianic process? Will it proceed where Trump will really be out and Biden will be in, which will destroy America, by the way? Is that what God wants? You see? And not only is that, but also, which is also Tachas Benoi, is not just the threat of throwing Trump out, but it's also the threat of COVID. COVID has killed millions of people. It has destroyed lives. It has made people poor, you see. It has created enormous amount of economic uh, poverty, as I mentioned. And besides all the suffering of people who get sick, so COVID is all part of the suffering, but it's not only of Jews, it's also of mankind. Because the messianic process will benefit man mankind in an incredible way. So they also, in a certain sense, have to be cleaned up. But we don't know how long. We do know that it will proceed, or the interruption of the messianic process will proceed up until the last possible moment, and that's the concept which I once mentioned, that evil will grow to the last possible minute, and that is symbolized by the windows closing, that the window where the or, the Shekhinah, shines into the universe, will close where there's just a nanometer's width, a slit at the bottom of the window. Because of that closed, the world will be annihilated. You see, so therefore, we are witnessing the windows closing over and over, closer and closer to the windowsill. And as soon as it's about to close, which is the last possible moment that it's open, immediately it will be thrown open and the gate of the gula will happen. So we don't know what the measure is of the windows closing. For all we know, maybe, that this has been going on, uh, and, and by the way, that's really what's been going on for four years 
in the Trump presidency the desire to throw him out, you see. And this has caused tremendous amount of suffering in so many different ways and, 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 and so on. So we don't know to what extent it will close. Maybe it will close, which means that it will force him out. And then America will go through a tremendous period of suffering, including the Jews, you see. Or maybe not. Maybe something will happen at the last moment, which I believe may happen, or actually hopefully it will happen, where Trump will be the president. And therefore the windows will open, and he will then, in many ways, become Rav Yavrit Sawyer, that he will truly help the Jews in every which way possible. Now, one of the good simonim or signs that hopefully this will happen is the fact that Gideon Sa, which I had mentioned at least two years ago, will probably be prime minister. I mentioned that when nobody ever heard of the guy, you know, without getting into how I knew. But I mentioned that several years ago, and I mentioned also that Trump will be president and he will work together with Saar. And I believe that Saar will be prime minister and get rid of Netanyahu, and that he will be the transition between the era of Rav, which he will get rid of, and also the Mashiach Yosef. So a good sign is that Saar is now running, which I'm sure everybody's shocked. I mean, I predicted this at least two years ago, but I really knew about it five. But in any case, that he will throw out the heir of Rav, terminate their ability to influence, you see. He will become prime minister. So that's a very good sign that if God is ready to dump the heir of Rav, and it clearly seems that they are on the way out because they have not been able to put together a coalition three times. And even the fourth time is a disaster, and so on. Therefore, that's a good sign that maybe the window, right, is about to stop closing and open up totally. So that's a very good sign. And Trump still has a chance, even though most people don't believe it. But I'll tell you why. I hope, I, I wish that Trump would listen to this. Trump has to understand something. He is the commander-in-chief. He took an oath of office. The most important thing for a president is to defend the Constitution. In fact, that's exactly what the oath is, that he will guard and defend the Constitution of the United States. Because that is the only law of the United States. Without that, there's no rule of law. He took that oath. And therefore, if he believes, and he does, that there was total fraud in the elections, the fraud was not just fraud, but it's really, in a certain sense, a passive form of treason. Because the Democrats, right, and the, the media and so on, all of them are guilty of interfering in an election, or at least supporting the fraud. And if he believes that they did this, the fraud was committed, not only that it's a fraud, and that's really, as far as I'm concerned, treasonous behavior, but what really happened is they, they violated the Constitution. Pennsylvania violated the Constitution because they did things which were against the Constitution and also against the Pennsylvania state Constitution. So therefore, he is sworn to defend the Constitution. And therefore, what he really has to do, if he's a moral person, 
He has to call martial law and take over the United States, which, by the way, he can do legally because of the Insurrection Act and also because of an act in 2018 where he said that the president will defend the Constitution in the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And if Trump believes that, then he is sworn and joined by the, by the oath that he took. He has to stop the false elections. And there are things that he could do. So he could do it legally. And like I say, morally, he has to take this action. So he could do one of several things. Either force the six states to have new elections and then count them legally, you see, or he can just remove them and just count the electoral votes of the, uh, of the other states. There are different things he could do. But if he declared martial law, right, then he could suspend the Constitution legally because this is a crisis, which I said he took an oath to defend. Now, I don't know if he's going to do that. I wish he understood that, that he has no choice because he took an oath of office as president, and he's still president until January 20th, that in some way he has to restore, right? He has to restore the honor and the legality of the Constitution itself, because that's what they did. It's not just a fraudulent election, which is a crime. It's a felony. But it's worse. It's treason, because they have interfered in the major essential process to elect the president. And they put somebody else in, which is completely incapable and, unqual- and unqualified to be president. So for the sake of the Constitution and the American rule of law, he must interfere. Maybe that's what he'll do. And maybe that's how we will overturn the entire thing. So, as I say, we are into what's called now Tachas Benoi, which is what Avram Avinu realized that it's not enough just to take Yitzchak off the altar. No, somebody has to take his place to satisfy justice and to complete the Tikkun process, you see. And we are now witnessing. That's really what it is. What is happening in current events is a replay of what happened in Egypt, where there's a crisis, Jews are about to disappear, God decides to begin the process of Mashiach, and then all of a sudden he interrupts that process to satisfy justice, that is Tachas Benoi, and then all of a sudden it's over, and God destroys Egypt with the Esamachus. And that's also, hopefully, what will happen now, is that the, the terrible, the Rasha Be'esov, the evil of Esov, the Democratic Party, right, the, the radical leftists, the media, the Republicans in name only, the rhinos, the never-Trumpers, that all of these people will be severely terminated. And let's hope that's what happens. But in any case, I wanted to give you the scenario of really what is happening today. It's exactly what happened in Egypt 3,300 years ago. So, what I say is that we are in the messianic process. It already started. But there's an interruption. And that's what we're witnessing. Any questions? Is anybody there? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we're all here. 
Yeah, we're taking, we're digesting this information. Okay, I hope you're not all in shock. How no, long not. does the interruption last? Speak louder, please. How long in Egypt did this interruption last? I think, I'm not sure, but I think it lasted six months. So, but we're already in COVID for how long? We're in COVID for a while now. Yeah, we at least a longer at least. interruption problem? Oh, yeah, we're in COVID for almost a year, actually. But Rabbi, the Esther Makot was one year. When we had the Makot of Egypt, every Makot was a month. It lasted one year. Yes. That's right. But it's so not I, clear I how long Amy, is, What was that? I was telling Amy that my beliefs are that the same way life, once they started with the makot, they no longer worked anymore. So I feel like that, we're in our house now, like the same one year that Am Yisrael was in Egypt. <clears throat> yeah, whatever. But like I pointed out, that's the important thing. The concept of tachas benoi which is a tremendous secret, you see, that Yitzhak cannot just leave. What happens is there has to be a substitute that will atone and, re- and restore the Jews to what they were. Because remember, we are in the equivalent of Memteshari Toma. <clears throat> That's really what we are. I mean, when somebody is appointed, and I don't want to mention his name, you'll all know, appointed a secretary who is a active homosexual and is married to a man because he's a man, right? Budajek. That Budajek? Very, yeah. That's Budajek. very bad. Who's that? That's very bad. That guy Budajek that wanted to run for president? Yes. <clears throat> but the problem is, okay, at least he attempted. But now... Biden is appointing him as Secretary of the, of the uh, Transportation. He, but that means he now represents the government, and he's now going to circulate in all kinds of situations where a minister, where a secretary has to be. So could you imagine him coming in with his husband? What a desecration that is of the moral of God, of the Torah, of morality. Because uh, that's what the government has become, an incredibly immoral place. And this is just the beginning that's what we live in. I mean, there's many other things going on, you know, where anybody can now choose his gender. I look, there's a lot of stuff that I don't want to go into, but everybody's familiar with the incredible immorality of America. And if this is America, can imagine what goes on around the rest of the world. You see, we are in the Memtesh And therefore, God has to save the Jewish people before they disappear. Because it's only a matter of time. And even though there's a, whatever, a million, million people or two million people, right? It's not the same. There's no gedolim anymore, if you think about it. I mean, you know, really when you think about it, maybe there's only a couple of gedolim left. Klai is no more producing these people for many, many reasons, uh, which I have mentioned, and so on. So therefore, what we're looking at is the disbandment of the Jewish people, ultimately, and of also the whole concept of Judaism. And that's the situation we're in, you see. So what I've tried to do is give you an understanding of the divine plan about what's happening and how it's the same thing of what happened in Egypt. 
you see. And it's alluded to both in the Akedo and it's alluded to in the Midrash of Mashiach ben Yosef. Any other questions? So when do you really think that Mashiach is going to be revealed? Do you think by this Passover? Well, like I say, you know, it has to end to a certain extent. And like I say, a good sign that it will end soon, right, is, uh, the, um, is the fact that Gideon Sa, who I feel will be the next prime minister, he will be the transition between the era of Rav and the Mashiach and Yosef. So therefore, that's a very good sign. Because at least on one side, it's happening. Look, we have yet to see what happens with Trump. He's probably going to wait until C2C. January 6th. Which is Georgia, which way they go. And then January 6th is when the Congress meets, right, to take a look at the electoral votes. And then if there's a debate, or rather if if there's an objection, by either by, by both the Senate, all you need is one senator, and you know, all you need is one congressman, right? Then automatically it's open for debate, and it could be decided to not to accept the electoral votes, but to throw it into the Senate, which votes for the vice president, and to go in the House, which votes for the president. You see. Now, if however it doesn't happen, then I believe it's very possible that Trump is just waiting. He gave the courts a chance. They failed, which is a terrible travesty of justice. Then he gave the Supreme Court the chance. They failed, which is another travesty of justice. Now he's going to wait to see what the Congress does. If they fail, it's another travesty of justice because they're not even interested in investigating this. So therefore, I think he would make his move on January 7th. That is a real possibility. We'll know in a week and a half what the story is. You know what I mean? So this yeah. waiting period is like the Tachat Benai? Correct. This period of terrible you know, suffering of, of America, of the Jewish people, because <clears throat> you have to remember one thing. <clears throat> Part of the Tachat Benai, by the way, <clears throat> not only of the world, but of the Jews. There's a tremendous amount of poverty with the Jews. They've lost businesses. But there are so many Jews that have died. Really, you know, Tzadikim, Kedoshim, Rosh Hashivas, Bnei Torah, in all communities. It's like a slaughter of the Jewish people, if you really think about that. You know, there's so many Jews that have died. This is the Tachas Benoit. You see, but Tachas Benoy has to end. You see, and that's what we're looking at. The window has to almost close, and then it will open, and that's the end. Once it starts, then the messianic process is unstoppable and irreversible. Rabbi, I have a question. Yes, I read that when the Gedolim, when they pass away. Um, if a lot of them are passing away at the same time, it's either that they're a korban for the for Bnei Israel, or it's that Hashem doesn't want them to see the you know the the wrath 
that he has that he's going to be taking on on to the Jews. He doesn't want them to see that. Okay. How do we know which one? It, how do we know which one it is? Well, I, I believe what I mean. They see the wrath. It's not something that will happen. It's happening. I believe it's the kapora. That Mises Sadikim, the death of Sadikim, is a tremendous kapora for the Jewish people. So when you add all of this up, this is all the Tachas Benoi. All of it. The COVID, the death of the Jews, the sickness of the Jews, the suffering that Jews have. How many people die without even seeing any of their loved ones? You know, the poverty. All of this is the Tachas Benoi. And that's what's happening. You see. I can't, I cannot hear you. Wait, I can't hear you. What? Rabbi, uh, after January 1st, 2020, and then, like, in, in February or whatever, the corona started. And then every time there's a siyum, there's something major happening right after that's really bad. Well, that siyum of shas, that siyum of shas in January, right? I, I feel that the, the, that siyum had a tremendous merit. Because when Jews learn Torah under such difficult circumstances, and there's a tremendous amount of Masirat Nefesh to learn Dafyoimi, whatever, I believe that the merit of that Siyam is where, where, where God decided that He's going to bring the end. Because you'll notice right after that Siyam was the impeachment of Trump. And that begins the Tachas Benoi. And then comes COVID. Right after that, all of that started after the Siam, you see. So I believe that Siam provided the merit. The last Siam was August 1st, 2012, and then we had Hunter King Sandy was there like two months later. Yeah, yes. Because the Siam provides uh, an ability to move forward. Every time they see him, like the first year, my shot was um, February 2nd, 1931, and then um, World War II started in 1931 in the Pacific. In 19, World War II started in the 40s. No, it started in 1939, when Hitler invaded Poland. 19, September 1st, 1939. Okay. But I believe that Siam provided an extraordinary merit for God to begin the process. You know what I'm saying? Because you have to remember, Jews are disappearing. It never happened before. Jews never, they really don't disappear. You know, they can get killed for their religion and so on. But now you have millions of Jews disappearing. Gone. And what about all those Jews that are intermarried? Do you know? They're gone. And then there's the assimilated Jews. 
then they're Jews who are completely unaffiliated. They may not be assimilated, but they're unaffiliated with anything. It's very bad what's happening out there. You see, it never happened before like that to the Jewish people. So this is the Mem Teshari Tumah. It's really what it is. You know what I mean? So you feel like in, God willing, in, in a week and a half, we'll... Uh, we will know. We will know wh- where we stand. The Tachab and I right. will be, you know, we'll be done with that. It'll either be Trump or Biden, and that's where we'll know where we... Yes. The direction right. we're going. Yes. Then we have... Yeah, then you have to figure out what direction that is. Correct. But between now and then, anything can happen. So now, Rabbi, I have a question. So could could Mashiach come earlier than what's expected? Like the time frame that you gave us, how Tehiyat HaMetim has happened within nine and a half years, could anything ever, like, be come earlier or is it it has to be within that time frame well that's the concept of Tachas Benoi you see in, in, in Egypt for instance the Jews were not worthy to be redeemed and it wasn't the Itoi it wasn't in the definite time that he must come so what God did is he he made it he accelerated the process because the Jews were about to disappear and not be worthy of any redemption. Same thing with today. We're not really at Be'itoi. If we were, then none of this would be happening, because the Jews would have suffered sufficiently. But we're not at that. So what God is doing is he's accelerating or speeding up the process by the Tachas Benoi, because of the tremendous crisis that the Jewish people are in. You know what I mean? So, like, the, every year, like, let's say, um, uh, the, the fast that we just fasted. Yes. We, uh, we fast because Hashem, Hashem decides if he's going to uh, build the Beit HaMikdash in that year. So, technically yes. speaking, we, we, we can merit to have it earlier. Yes, we can. That's the whole point of Tachas Panoi. Because that's what allows it to be earlier. Got it. So technically this year the Beit HaMikdash could be rebuilt? Yes. It actually could. In fact, this year the Mashiach ben Yosef can be freed. He can be freed from the, uh, the tremendous amount of what's called the Klippa that surrounds him. And he can be freed and he will begin to grow, as I once mentioned. And that will be it. He will slowly grow, and part of the growth, eventually, is that when he's recognized, he will build the base of Mignash. Yeah. When's the earliest of a possible for him to be released from his klipa, you think? You know, it, these things happen immediately. When they happen, it's terrifying. The blink of an eye. Could happen this year. It doesn't have to happen on Passover? It has to happen in Nisan, which, by the way, is when the Israeli elections will take place. I know, the 23rd of March. Yeah, a week before, uh, the 23rd, a week before Pesach, correct. Crazy. Isn't it amazing? Rabbi, you don't want to tell us who you think the Mashiach is? I'm, I'm very curious. 
<laughs> well, anyway. Who do you think? Are they Ashkenazi or Sephardi? Does it make a difference? No. I don't know. It just Maybe it'll lean us a smaller pool. Oh, please. Who cares? No, but when can you I tell? can tell you the Mashiach, I can tell you definitely that the Mashiach is Jewish. Oh, <laughs> you know? That's what I can tell you. Okay. Anyway, that's the story. Thank you know, you, something to think about. Yeah. Thank you, Rabbi. Great class. Great. You know okay. what's interesting, Rabbi? That all the classes that we're leading to is relevant to the parasha. Ani Yosef, Haoravichai. Like I feel like exactly. now he's going to come and say, uh, I don't know. It's like everything is falling into place. Yes. Very that's weird. right. That's right. Even this week's yeah. parasha uh, coming up. Yaakov wants to reveal when the Mashiach is coming. It's like all, all about the Mashiach in like every single week. Yeah, so Shmos. Moshe Rabbeinu, yeah, Shmos. That's the exact crisis happens next week, right? Yeah, and next week starts Shavuot. No. Yes, that's right. Shavuot, exactly. That's right. So who knows? Next week is Parashat Shemot. And that's a good time. Yeah. Correct. Well, that's the beginning of the Messianic era. And that's right, that, January 6th, no? Isn't yeah, next exactly. Week? Next week is exactly Parashat Shemot. Right. Isn't that something? The day of that, January 6th, the day of that rally in Washington is the day that uh, Shemot starts. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right. I know. 